Grace, good to see you. Yeah, it's great. Um, I'm actually really happy to be back. I've been gone. This why I'm tan is because I was in Phoenix and didn't want to leave because uh, this is my first April in Chicago and what in the world, right? Like, it's ridiculous. But hey, we're all in this together. Listen, you need a Bible and I want to invite you to open it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17. Uh, to 24 today, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 24. One of the best books I've ever read was a book by a guy named Thomas Boston. Uh, he is a Puritan. So that means he was one of the guys who kind of came over on the early boats to the United States and started to establish the colonies and all that sort of thing. Boston uh, wrote a book called The Crook in the Lot. The crook in the lot. Now, when you hear the language, that language, uh, most people in the modern world think to themselves, oh, it must be a book about some burglar standing in an open field. Like a crook in the lot. Now, actually, the way language used to work, the word lot used to mean your life situation. We sometimes still use it that way, right? Uh, well, that's just my lot. Oh, the, my team lost last night. Well, that's typical. That's just my lot. Uh, so your life situation, the things that are going around, on around you, the circumstances are, are your lot. It's what you've been handed. You can get the idea, right? We cast lots. It's, what the thi- it's a thing that you had, you've ended up with. A crook is not a burglar. It's just it's a turn, right? So a shepherd's crook. It's a turn in your life situation, a crook in your lot. So the book is actually about what, what do we do in situations where life doesn't turn out exactly like we wanted it. You've had a situation like that maybe? To be honest, um, most of my ministry, I have found that the biggest issue that Christian people have is that their lives are not turning out like they had planned. I wouldn't even say Christian people. I think that's the issue with everybody else. I know that we like to say, well, I had a vision and it was this and then I reverse engineered it and I planned it out and it worked perfectly. That's a lie. It never happens that way. There's never a straight line to that thing. Usually, you start going toward the thing. You can see it. You can see the thing you want, right? I want a husband or a wife. I want to have a great job. I want to live in a house like that or I want to whatever, Fame, fortune, I want that thing. And you start heading that direction and something happens. You know, your, your child is born with spina bifida. You, you're, you, you become sick. Uh, your relationship breaks up, whatever. And you get a crook whoop, in your lot. You might still have your eye on that goal, but now you're on plan B. And it's not very long before plan B becomes C and then D. And th- now you're on double Q. And, and you're like, what happened? Most Christian people that I know, in the quiet moments of the evening, when everybody's in bed and they're laying there themselves, they're thinking to themselves, how in the world did I get here? And I don't like here. I don't like my lot. That's why we make so many changes. That's why we have so much self-help stuff. That's why we take on so many diets. It's because we just, we, we want to change our lot. 
What's interesting about this uh, passage in 1 Corinthians 7, 17 to 24 is that Paul's going to basically deal with the question of what do you do when your lot is crooked? What do you do when circumstances aren't what you want them to be? And Paul's going to give some guidance here. He's going to give actually four ideas that will help us live faithfully with what's in front of us. How should you handle the crook in your lot, your life situation that sits right in front of you, because it's not exactly what you want it to be for whatever reason? So uh, four things, like I said. Number one, here it is. your lot is assigned by God. Now, should you handle the crook in your lot? Well, you should handle it by realizing first that your lot, whatever it is, is an assignment by God. So here's uh, verse 17 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Now, before we go any further, I do want to deal with that. And the reason I put an open box is there's something that happened before the only. You're in the middle of a conversation, right? Most people don't use the word only to start the conversation. Only, Duke lost Leslie. You know, like only, it's not the way you do it. So what's happening before this? Well, Paul's actually gone on a bit of a diatribe about uh, the problems that the Corinthians were having with with. Um, issues regarding marriage. Essentially, what the Corinthians uh, loved more than anything else was rankings. They, they wanted to be seen in whatever subculture they were a part of as the highest in that subculture. And so this is why they have divisions in their church. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. Like, my guy is the best guy, and that puts me higher on the ranking level, right? I used to play tennis, and they used to have, like, a, a tennis ladder, You have to compete against the guy above you or two above you, and you would try to climb up the ladder. Well, the Corinthians wanted to climb up the social ladder so that they were at the very top and so that everyone else would look at them and say, wow, you're the best Roman. You're the best Christian. You're the best whatever. Their city was inundated with that kind of thinking, and they brought it into the church. And so my guy is better. Paul is better. Apollos is better. Cephas is better. Uh, the way I speak religiously, a little bit later, they're going to by religiously, I mean, uh, um, I have this amazing gift, the gift of tongues that makes me sound like an angel. And I speak it as much as, Do you, don't, you don't have that ability? Hmm, that's a little bit weird. I must be higher on the ladder than you are. You know, God's up here and then me because I speak like an angel and then you, you're down here. In, in this passage, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, just leading up to the, to the passage we're studying, they're dealing with the question of marriage. They, the, they're like, okay, since I've come to faith in Christ and, uh, and, you know, angels are the closest thing to God, I'm pretty much like an angel. And you tell me, do angels have sex? People are like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. No, of course they don't. So I'm going to stop having sex with my spouse. Actually, angels aren't even married. They, they don't do that. So I'm going to stop being married to my spouse. So they were, they were doing things, striving after this particular kind of ranking system. And so Paul's coming along and he's like, oh my word, stop it. Stop it. 
your rankings, the way that you think about all this is stupid. The latter is dumb. In fact, that probably should be the, the title of the sermon. The latter is dumb. Stop trying to climb the ladder. Because the way that God views these things and the way that you view these things are absolutely different. Live as people of God. Right, so only then let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called them. This is my rule in all the churches. Look, every single church I go to, this is the thing I say. You guys are, I'm not the one who's weird, says Paul. You guys are the one who's weird. Your standards and way of looking at this are completely weird. Because your lot is your assignment. I had a, I had a friend um, actually who used to be a secret service agent. Um, it was interesting talking to him. Um, I mean, I don't know him that well, consider him a friend, but like, I have, remember having a really good conversation with him about what he used to do. Because, you know, like people like me want to know the behind the scenes of Secret Service. Dude, do you like run by the motorcade the whole time? Like, is that the thing? Do you remember that? They have the big limousine and the president's in there and they're running along. I said, that must be exciting work to be able to do that and investigate where things are going. And he said, no, it's not exciting work. I said, why not? That's so, it's like you're the detective of detectives. And he said, most of, most of my work as a Secret Service agent was spent uh, guarding a dumpster. And I said, what? He said, okay, so you know when the president comes to a new town or he's going to go from the airport to this other location... Our job in Secret Service was to go and to scout out along the way the places that people could place bombs. So if he was going to be in a building, we would have to do a, like a, 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 an area of like a mile around the building to try to figure out where people could place bombs. And then uh, for a week prior, I would have to stand by a dumpster to make sure nobody came along and put stuff in it that was a bomb. So the president would be safe. He said, so most of the weeks of my life have been spent guarding doors, guarding dumpsters, not very exciting. I said, but there are exciting parts of it. He goes, yeah, running by the motorcade. That's like the one, good one. And I said, well, how do you get into that? How do you get into that? He said, well, you're assigned to it. Well, how are you assigned to it? Well, the boss assigns it. Well, how do you get the boss to assign it? He said, you know, one of the things we learned very early in the Secret Service is an old saying. He says, you get what you get and you don't get upset. You get what you get and you don't get upset. Right, that's pretty much what Paul is, Paul is saying, that your, your lot, your situation has been assigned to you by your boss in this case, and you get what you get, and you don't get upset. The problem that you and I have is we get what we get, and we're really upset because we like to look over the fence at the neighbor's lot and go, oh my goodness, that's a nice lot you got over there. That you... You don't literally look over your neighbor's lot. You don't even know their lot, quite honestly. Most of their lot is produced and put forward on Instagram, and it always looks better. You see where they're traveling. You see how good things are. Man, they're always smiling. We're never smiling. They're always smiling. God, why can't I have a smiling lot? We get what we get, and we get really upset. 
There's an interesting passage in Hebrews chapter uh, 12. So Hebrews chapter 12 comes off the back of Hebrews 11, which is, this, which is a passage of, um, about all these great Christian people who have followed Jesus regardless of the cost and have finished their race in faith. So even when they didn't see how good things were going to be, they persevered to the end. So in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, he concludes this whole discussion by saying, therefore, right, in light of all of these people I just talked about, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those are the people who are testifying. They're not watching us. They're testifying, you know, witnesses. They're not sitting in a stadium looking at you. They are witnessing, meaning uh, testifying to you, that the right way to go is to continue down the path and trust Jesus. We are examples that you ought to follow because we have found that even when it's hard, you keep going, man, and you will receive what is promised. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of testifiers testifying to that, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and, and let us run with, with pers- endurance the race that is, oh, here it is, set before us. That is a passive. The race is set before us. Somebody else sets the race before you. I wonder who that would be. I wonder who it is that is sitting up there in heaven and setting the race out before us. Well, yeah, of course, it's God. In his sovereignty and providence, he is setting out races for people. And here's the crazy thing. Even in this passage, dealing with these great heroes of the faith, their lots were very different. Each race is unique. So uh, you go back just a few verses in Hebrews chapter 11, he says, what more shall I say? He's talking about these great characters. For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the, and the prophets who through faith, now listen to some of the good stuff that happens to these folks, right? I'm, I'm, in, I'm into this kind of lot, conquered kingdoms, yes? Okay. Enforced justice. Dude, I got a lot of injustice to be enforced. I'm ready to go. Obtained promises. Stopped the mouths of lions. Throw me in that den. That's what I want. I want to be in that lot. Stand there before the lion. Come on. And nothing. Quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. Became mighty in war. And they put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead. That's a good lot. By resurrection. Oh, pause. I mean, some were tortured. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and, and imprisonment. Listen, in other words, uh, some people receive their dead back and some people just receive death. Some of those lots are better than other lots. I I want the received back the dead lots. I I I want the resurrection lots. I don't want the suffering and mocking and that kind of lot. And yet you get what you get and you, you don't get upset. 
It's actually this really interesting passage at the end of John's gospel where, you know, Jesus has been resurrected and he goes to this beach and Peter comes swimming forward and they stand over a fire and, and uh, Jesus kind of restores him saying, yeah, look, brother, three times you denied me, so three times I asked you the question, do you love me? And after each time, Peter says, yes, I love you, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, I want you to feed my sheep. In other words, I want you to take this experience and your failure, and I want you to turn it and use it so that you can be a a leader of God's people, so that you can feed my people, so you can be a shepherd for them. And Peter's like, all right, I I, I can do that. I'm ready to go. Truly, truly, though, this is how Jesus finishes the little conversation he has with Peter. Uh, I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you're going to stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Stretch out your hands, Peter, and they're going to dress you in stuff you don't like. What What does that look like? Well, yeah, Uh, This he said to show by what what kind of death he was going to glorify God. You're going to get crucified, Peter, just like like I was. And Peter's like, okay, yeah, Um, I'm not sure that's the lot I like. So listen to what Peter does. He does exactly what all of us. And after saying this, he said, look, follow follow me. This This is the path I've laid before you. This is the race marked out for you, Peter. It's your race. Follow, follow me in the race. And Peter does what you and I do. He gets what he gets and he gets upset. Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This guy, disciple whom Jesus loved, is John. He doesn't like to use his own name in his gospel for some reason. Uh, the one who had leaned back against him, Jesus, during the supper and said, uh, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? He's, he's like, it's me, it's me, it's me. I just don't like to use my name. When Peter saw him, when Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, right? So he's looking over the neighbor's fence and looking at John and going, says to Jesus, Lord, um, <clears throat> what about him? Because it's not a big deal, Jesus, if I actually have to go and do the crucifixion. I get it. But as long as John's getting the same thing. And then Jesus said to him, which is what he would probably say to all of us when we say, I don't like my lot, I like their lot. If it's my will that he remains until I come, what's that to you? Like, you're not in charge of all this stuff, man. I'm the one who gets to make the assignments. I have reasons for my assignments. What is it to you? But here's the thing, Peter. You follow me in your path. And it's going to take turns that the others aren't going to take. Yes, I got John. He's going to die eventually all alone, late in his life on an island. But what's that to you? You follow me. I was a baseball coach for like this much time in my life. I was an assistant coach because I don't know much about baseball at all. You know, you throw it, you catch it, you hit it. Uh. I was with a head coach who was really good at it. And he, he said, look, I don't, your job is just to make sure that the kids are having a good time and you don't put kids in any positions where they're going to get hurt. Okay, so like I'm dealing with a bunch of, you know, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, and I'm looking around and some of them have never touched a baseball before. So, one kid has got a glove and he's got it backwards on the wrong hand. And, you know, and he's standing there looking around, you know, and you're like, dude... 
So you get to know the kids, and eventually you're like, okay, so here's the thing. Um, I'm going to let you pitch. In fact, I want you to pitch because you're the only kid on the team who actually can throw the ball anywhere near where he's aiming. This other kid with, you know, hand in the, you're going to go to right field, buddy, because nothing's coming your way, right? But I'm not putting you out there because I hate you. I'm going to put you out there because I want to be, keep you safe. Now, other kids, you're like, ah, you know what? This kid could be really great if they got some experience. I'll put you a shortstop to keep you used to getting the ball, use the infield that way. And maybe you get a catcher who can catch the ball, whatever. You do the lineup based upon what they can and they can't do. My point is that you have a purpose in all of the assignments you give. It's not like you're just arbitrarily going, shortstop, back to center field, pitcher. You have a purpose. You want to keep the kids safe and you want them to develop. The kids always complain though, yes? About what they get. Why am I going to the right field? Because you suck. No, because you're, you're going to right field, son, because I need you to be safe. You're going to go to the pitcher. You're going to go to the shortstop or third base, and I've got reasons for it. And then I don't like it. What do you say to those kids? What do you say to them? You get what you get, and you don't get upset. Trust me, kids. I, I, know, I know kind of what I'm doing here. Eventually, the team's going to enjoy. You'll get chances to do other things, but you get what you get, and you don't get upset. The thing that is sitting in front of you right now is God's assignment for you. The thing you and I complain about so much, our lot, is the very thing that God has handed to us and said, I can grow you here. You can love me here. You can see my power here. Get what we get. We don't get upset. That's the first thing, right? Uh, your lot is assigned by God. Secondly, <clears throat> your lot doesn't need to change. Because it's an assignment by God, it doesn't need to change. Now, in a minute, I'm going to get to the idea that it can change, but look, it doesn't have to change. Here's uh, the next portion of, of, of 1 Corinthians 7. Was anyone at the time of his call, so when he was called to faith in Jesus, was anyone already circumcised? In other words, you're already Jewish. Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Ouch. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised or a, a Gentile? Let him not seek circumcision. This is a weird little section. You're like, why are you bringing this up? All right, so a <clears throat> little bit of background. Um, the Romans had this place called the gymnasium. It was a place they had public baths. It was one of the first places in the history of the world that had uh, like running water coming from other places and that you could go to a public bathhouse. Now, the public bathhouse, like a lot of other things in Roman, you know, society, was not like ours. You know, when we go to a public bath, we cover up with our swimsuits and stuff like that. Um, these were gender specific. So when you went to the public bath, guys, it's naked. By the way, the Olympics were naked too. So whatever. They liked being naked. So you're in the bathhouse, you're naked. Now, Romans look very highly on people who look Roman. Read uncircumcised. They look very lowly on people who would be circumcised because you come from another religious tradition and you're an outsider. And so you can't hide in the Roman bath. Everyone in the entire society, if you want to climb the ladder, you go to the bathhouse. And when you're in the bathhouse, everyone knows 
your situation. So the temptation that you have is to say, well, I'm going to hide it. And there was a surgery you could get called epiplasm that would hide it. Not change it, but hide it. So that you could climb the social ladder. You sit next to your you know, future boss and he's looking and saying, oh, you're a good Roman guy, so I'm going to give you a higher standing. So Paul's interacting with this and he's saying, look, I, I know that the temptation that you have is to change your lot, the situation that you are in, because you want to climb the social ladder. That you want to be looked more highly upon by your peers. He went the other way, by the way, for Jews. If you were Jewish and your buddy was uncircumcised, he's not as good, right? You had to be circumcised. Depending on which group you wanted to be viewed highly by, circumcision or uncircumcision did matter. And yet for Paul, he's like, no, no, neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. It doesn't matter. The ladder that they've constructed about what you look like in that area of your body is stupid. The only thing that matters is keeping the commandments of God. It doesn't matter how they view you and how they're going to place you on their stupid ladder. What matters is your relationship with God. He doubles down. Look, each one then should remain in the situation or the condition in which he is called. You don't need to change. You don't need to change your situation. Because the reason that you want to change your situation is usually to climb some stupid ladder that God cares nothing about. Want some more proof? Okay, were you a bond servant? Were you a slave when called? Now I'm going to talk about this slavery in just a second. But listen to what his argument is. Do not be concerned about it. Don't be concerned about your situation. Slaves were the lowest on the totem pole, right? The owner, the owner's sons, the owner's wife, the owner's daughters, the dog, the cat, the slave. So, look, if you are called, you come to faith in Christ as, as a slave, the idea is, man, I want to climb the ladder out of, out of this. And Paul's like, yeah, but don't be concerned about it. I mean, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity, because slavery sucks. For, though, here's my reason, he says, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant, as a slave, is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. It doesn't matter because if you are a free person, when you come to faith in Jesus, you become his slave. And if you are a slave, when you come to faith in Jesus, you become free. So what are Christians? Free slaves. What the kingdom of God does is it flattens everybody out. And it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your background is, what you look like. It doesn't matter how smart you are or dumb you are or ugly you are or thin you are or fat you are. It doesn't matter any of that. God in God, all are one in Christ Jesus. Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, all are one in Christ Jesus. That's the value of the kingdom of God. But they were like, no, 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 the value... The value in the real world is that you climb the social ladder. You, you, you get more credit, more ranking based upon certain other things. And we have to do that in order to look good. And God's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. Why? Ready? This is the biggest thing you're going to get today. Ready? Because you were bought with a price. 
because I own you, <laughs> says Jesus. Do not become slaves of men, of people. Here he's not being literal. He's saying don't become slaves to the way they think. I own you. Become a slave to what I think. Don't become slaves to what they think. Um, and I bring this up frequently, so let me just have another go at it. When I was, it was about a year ago that I was coming here to do some, some speaking before you guys decided whether or not I was worth being, worth having as a pastor. And so I, I came, I did a little bit of speaking. I have to go back to Canada and I have to do a two-week quarantine every single time. Now, uh, the two-week quarantine that I did was really serious. They would send people around to your house to check on whether or not you were doing it. So on one occasion, one of the quarantine officers came to the front door of our house. My wife answered, and he said, the first thing he said is, are you Jeannie Buckdown? Yes, put on a mask. You imagine somebody coming to your door, put on a mask. You're like, um, I think this is private property. <laughs> um, but that's, in Canada, that's not what you did. Put on a mask. Okay. Is Jeff Bugnam here? Uh-huh. I come out. You need to put on a mask. I do? Yeah. Dude, I'm inside my house. I don't care. You need to put on a mask to talk to me. Okay. I put on the mask. And they go through the questions. Have you been, you know, keeping apart in your quarantine? Have you been living? Have you seen anybody? No, no. Just the people we live with. Have you been outside at all? Yeah. Well, sometimes I go outside and I stand in my front yard because, you know, it's getting to be springtime, and it's nice out there. So I sometimes take a chair, sit out there at the edge of the property, and he goes, oh, that's against the law. I said, what do you mean? Like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to anyone else's property. I'm on my property. He goes, no, no, no. The, the, law, the law is that you can only go outside your house as far as your front porch or your back porch or, or deck. Any further, and you are breaking the health, the health order. So, you know, guys like me, I'm like, oh, yeah, right here. Is that against the law? Doo -doo. All right. So, look, then I, I came back here. I came back here and uh, had to have some more meetings and talk. And so when I came back, um, we stayed at, you know, a particular location. Can you imagine if I came back and I was staying at someone's house and they say, okay, it's time to go. We're going to go out and have these meetings and stuff. And I walk to the edge of the property and I'm like, yeah, I, I'm not allowed to go in the front yard. And they're like, mm, I think you are. And I'm saying, no, 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 I, I'm not. Actually, there's a, it's against the order. It's against the law. What do you, where do you get that idea? Well, you know, Canada. And every American at that point goes, <laughs> Canada. <laughs> um, you don't live there anymore, man. Like, you can walk out. You can go. Like, dude, you can go to Florida and shoot everybody. It's like, it's a thing. <laughs> so, come on. And their argument is, you live under a new authority. Now, what kind of fool stays there on the porch and goes, I don't know. I don't know, that old authority. Maybe that Canadian guy's going to show up. Who does this? And the answer is nobody does this because we're not stupid. And yet you and I, who have been removed from the kingdom of this age and been placed in the kingdom of God's dear son, when the God's dear son says, think this way about the world, we're like, I don't know. What about those other people who think the other way? And God's like, I don't care. That's not, it doesn't matter. 
I wrote it down as clearly as I could so that you could hear it. The usual reasons I want to change my lot is because I want something that will make me happier or more prestigious in the eyes of my peers. But the rules and values of the kingdom of this age are different than the kingdom of the age to come. We are citizens of the latter. We are citizens of the age to come. Slaves of Jesus, not men. So why pursue value according to bad standards? Why return to the old way of thinking and saying, yeah, this is what's going to make me matter in the world. What are you doing? Be who you are. Okay, I'll give you some specific examples because I want to. Um, all right, let's talk in, in relation to like money and prestige, okay? Uh, I was at Blaze Pizza in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was sitting there. It was only like, you know, everywhere right now, there's only like three people working. It's really hard for them, massive lines. Anyway, the manager comes over and he, he shuts the door because it's a massive line. They're shut, he locks the door. It's not closing time. It's, and he locks the front door. Anyway, we, we didn't really notice. We're sitting there and then some guy comes to the door and he's trying to get in. And I'm like, oh, well, I just opened this door so that he can turn the thing. And so my son goes over to open the door. He's trying to be helpful and open the door. And the manager yells at him, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm trying to let the guy in so he can buy pizza from you. What are you, I locked it on for a per reason. You keep your hands off of that. And I said, hey, chill, chill. Then my son, it's okay. I was just trying to help him. So the guy walks over and he gets to the door and he's chattering at my son the whole time. My son finally says, man, you, do, you don't need to be yelling at me. You don't need to be upset with me. It's not a big deal. And he goes, oh, you, do you want to leave my store? Do you want to get out of here? I'll kick you out. And, you know, as a dad, I'm like, whoop, okay. <laughs> you know, we're out. <laughs> So I'm walking by the guy and say, dude, you do not need to be mean to people or something. So there's, you know, we walk out and frustrated and stuff like that. And the guy stands at the door and he holds, he holds the door. And while he's closing it again, he says, I make more money than anybody else in here. And I'm like, okay, Blaze Pizza Manager guy. I, I, fine. Well, what does that have to do with anything at all? And the answer is according to the, the rules of this present age, it has to do everything. Because the reason I'm more important than you is because I have more money. The reason I'm more important than you is that I'm, I'm higher on the, on, the, on, the, on the social strata. I used to tell my, ki my kids' friends, uh, they'd always say, hey, Mr. Bucknam, and I'd say, it's Dr. Bucknam. <laughs> you know, it's a joke, but they'd, they'd keep saying, ha, ha, it's funny. Is that funny? Because it wasn't funny when I got conferred the doctorate. I'm Dr. Buckdom. You know, totally, just to totally troll them. Eventually, they, they got to the point where they just, as a joke back, would kept calling me Dr. Buckdom. Hey, doctor. Hey, doctor. Hey, Doc B. Hey, Dr. Buckdom. Dr. Buckdom. Dr. Buckdom. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, it's like I'm walking out from the, the Blaze pizza thing. It's, I'm richer than you. Uh, you mean me, Dr. Buckdom? Like, you're like, but do you understand? I'm doing the same thing. It's just that I changed it from money to status, to a title. You better listen to me. I'm a doctor. What are, we, what are we doing? That's the way the present evil age thinks. And yet God's like, that's stupid. See, in the gospel, it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, the Blaze Pizza manager, the CEO. It doesn't matter if you are the janitor. Flattened. All are one in Christ. 
So I don't need to pursue that. I don't need to pursue your, your appreciation of my status according to the rules of this present evil age. In other words, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of people. Give you another one. Um, so intelligence is one of the things we like to rank each other by. Have you ever heard the, the phrase or the saying that somebody said, well, he's the smartest guy in the room. That guy's the smartest guy in the room. I heard a lot of people point to me when they said, um, he's the smartest guy in the room. I'm kidding. By the way, there's like four people in the front. Does he really think that? No, I don't. So like, he's the smartest guy in the room. Right, so when we say that, when we say he's the smartest guy in the room, um, there is a standard by which we're judging smarts, yes? Usually what we mean by that is that he's the most savvy, you know, politically savvy, kind of with it. He can manipulate and maneuver his way around difficulties and this sort of thing. Man, he's a smart guy. But do you know that if that's what you mean by smartest guy in the room, God doesn't call that person smart. He calls them a fool. Read 1 Corinthians. The wisdom of this age is foolishness to God. God's like, yay, you're really good at politics and manipulating everyone else. That's not smart in my book. Smart in my book is obeying the commandments of God. Smart in my book is following the rules of the new community of faith that is defined by Jesus, your owner. Or to put it another way, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of people. One more. Um, I, I don't know. You, you, we are obsessed with weight and beauty in this society. I used to play a lot of uh, soccer. And I was a, I grew up an athlete, right? But, you know, when, when you're an athlete, you eat everything you want. And then you always burn it off. And then when you stop working out or being an athlete, you eat everything you want. And for some reason, you, it, you get bigger. <laughs> so my life right there, right? So, Okay. But I still like to play sports, and so I'm playing basketball or sometimes playing soccer, right? I play soccer a lot in New Zealand, so I'm playing soccer against these guys, and, you know, they're faster than me and everything like that. But, you know, like, as a competitive person, you're kind of like, you get chippy in the game, and stuff's part of the game. Oh, yeah, you two went around, you did this sort of thing. Like, eventually, you know, that kind of trash talk elevates sometimes, and eventually, the final statement anyone ever used to use against me was, oh, yeah, you're fat. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm fat, well, um, you're ugly, and I can diet. Um, just kidding. Even saying that is the same thing, isn't it? Basically, what I'm trying to say is, look, there's a standard of fatness and thinness and ugliness and prettiness. And the reason I matter more is because I'm, what, thin, pretty, blah, blah, whatever it is. I'm amazing. Because do you know how much money and time we spend trying to chase the standards of other people? When it comes to weight, beauty, are you kidding me? We spend so much money and time, and it's all after rising on the status chain. So then we walk through the mall, people saying, well, that person's got it all together. You know what God says about this? I don't care. I, I, don't, I don't care. I don't care. You're fat, you're thin, you're red, you're white, black, white. I don't care. It doesn't matter. All are one in Christ Jesus. So why are you pursuing the rules of another kingdom. Why are you pursuing? You know you come to church every week. I, I hope and I pray. Do you know what my job is? My job is just to remind you of the kingdom of God. That's all I'm doing is telling you what the rules of the kingdom are so that you get up from here trained as missionaries to go back out to live as aliens and strangers according to the rules of the new age, the rules of the age of Jesus that will last forever. You go back out, you look weird, but then you come back the next week and I say, good for you. Let's do it again. 
We're lights in a dark place. But when you stop living according to the rules of Jesus and you live according to the rules of the kingdom of this world, man, light goes out, baby. And what's the point? What's the point? Be who you are. So what's motivating you to change your lot? Are you driven by standards of this age or standards of the age to come? All right, I got eight minutes for two points. I'm going to do it. It's a piece of cake. Ready? Here we go. So the third thing is, okay, he just said, look, you, you don't need to change your lot. But then he comes back, even this little section, he says, but you can. I mean, there's some situations in which you can change your lot. It's not a sin. Again, uh, going back, were you a bond servant when called? Were you a slave? Don't be concerned about it. Well, I'm kind of concerned about it because slavery is horrible. Look, the slavery of that day was not the same kind of slavery as we experience in the new world. It was not race-based. It was very common. People would go into slavery because they owed money. And they would kind of work it off. You know how we used to, you know, if you couldn't pay the bill at the diner, you had to go wash dishes. Kind of like that. They'd work it off. And then they'd be manumitted. They would be freed. So it's not the same kind of slavery, but I don't care how you dress slavery up or put lipstick on it, it's still slavery. And it sort of sucks. So look, Paul's like, yeah, it does sort of suck. You don't need to be concerned to get out of it because you're not seen any higher or lower in God's eyes. But if you can gain your freedom, you should avail yourself of the opportunity. Or in other words, there are some lots that are just super undesirable. They're unbearable. There's situations that you have to get out of. And the question you start to ask is, okay, what kinds of situations? Well, uh, one, if your situation is causing you to sin, you should get out of it. Please do not hear Paul here saying, hey, remain in the situation you're in. And you're like, yeah, I'm in this cohabiting relationship where I'm sleeping with my girlfriend when I'm married. Paul's not saying, you just stay there, man. It's good. He's not saying that. He's saying, you get out of that. John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, he was actually a slave ship captain for five years after he came to faith in Christ. What this passage says to him is, you should get out of the slave captaining business. There are some kinds of things that are sinful in their very being. If you are in a heterosexual or homosexual, sexual immorality situation, get out. Get out. Don't remain as you are. So when, when it's sinful, you should, you should change your lot. But second, also when it's unbearable. Have you guys ever been in a situation where you go to work every day and you cry? I have. I am. Wait, I have. Right? Just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But do, do you, but do you know what I mean? Like you go in a situation and your family is taking a beating for it and you're, every, you're trying to work forward and you're like, at some point you just have to say, man, the things that I'm called to in my life to love my wife and love my kids, it's not worth this. To love my husband and love my kids, like it's not worth this. It's hurting us more than it's helping us. It's just super undesirable. All right. It's not a sin to get out. It's not a sin to get out. Get out. I mean, it's not gonna, it doesn't matter about your status. Don't think that you're going to get out and be like, hey, I moved up a little wrong. Doesn't matter. But some situations you need to get out of. And last, last one. 
your lot isn't only yours. <laughs> your lot isn't, he, he kind of finishes this where he began. Uh, so brothers and sisters, in whatever condition, each was called there, let him remain oh, <laughs> with God. This little word with actually means beside remain beside God. It's this image where God, Jesus, is beside you in all the lots. Jesus is basically saying, look, don't worry. I'm not sending you out there. Saying, good luck. Here's some water. See you on the other side of the canyon. No, no I'm, I'm with you every step of the way. And you guys know that that's, that makes all the difference, doesn't it? I mean, we're facing difficult lot of crook in your lot. The, the most important thing is to know that you're not alone in it. If I have to go to a party and nobody else I know is going to be there, I'm not going to the party. If you have to go to youth group and there's nobody you know there, it's really hard to go to youth group or go to school or go to whatever, new job. Like You want somebody there who knows you and can stick by your side and doesn't abandon you when that crazy person starts talking to you. I, want, I need someone there with me, right, because it brings confidence and joy and security and all the things. And here's the beauty of Christianity, that you are promised that wherever you go and whatever you do, in whatever lot or circumstance you're in, Jesus is with you, beside you. And so you find these great passages of Scripture where these people are facing some of the most difficult lots that they could possibly imagine. Moses is called by God to go and to shake his finger at Pharaoh and say, let my people go. But Moses said to the Lord, okay, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Dude, I am the wrong guy for this job. Then the Lord said to him, but who's made men's mouth? Who, who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, therefore, and I will be with your mouth. I'm not leaving you alone, man. I'm standing right next to you. When you face off with Pharaoh, you'll be thinking in your mind, the Almighty God is here. Don't be intimidated by him. Say what I tell you to say and teach you what you shall speak. Uh, Psalm 23, 4, one of the great psalms in the entire Bible, right? Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why should you fear no evil when you're in the midst of a canyon, you can't see anything? Well, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they, they comfort me. Don't you, don't you see? I'm here, he says. I don't love Christian art, but every once in a while you come across a, a painting that really does encapsulate a teaching that the Bible has consistently. And, and there is one. It's an old Seventh-day Adventist guy. His name was Harry Anderson, and he painted this. It's called The Consultation. I actually really love it. The reason is the person who's sitting in the bed, there's a doctor here, there's a nurse here, she's holding the hand. This person is all alone. I don't know if they're dying, I don't know if they're just sick, but it's a serious situation. Nurses hold hands when it's a pretty big deal. And she's all alone. Where is she? Do 
Jesus is beside us when the doctor gives the bad news. He's with us in the cancer treatments. He's there when we lay down our heads at night after a day wrestling with toddlers or teenagers. He's there when our love is unrequited. He's there in the daily boredoms and the, and the moments of exhilaration. When we win the job and when we lose the job. In every single crook in our lots, Jesus is beside us. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful for your goodness and for your presence. Father, we do. We live in a present evil age and we feel like sheep being sent out to a slaughter sometimes. We're called to live differently. We're called to live as, as people, citizens of the kingdom of the age to come. And we sometimes get so convinced that the way to actually be is citizens of this evil age. And everyone around us reminds us that that's what we ought to do. That's what we ought to do. But God, you need to remind us over and over again, Spirit, would you come remind us, press upon us that we don't need to answer to them. We are slaves of Jesus, not slaves of people. And would you free us, Father, to be the kind of people who value the things that you value who don't look at the lot in our life, the situations in our life, and think, well, i got to change this so that everybody else thinks something good about me, but ultimately says, Lord, I can, I can serve you here, and I can wait on you here. Or give us the ability, Father, to walk with those people who uh, one day long ago said, uh, we are witnesses to the goodness of perseverance and following Jesus regardless of the path we've been given. We have assignments from you, Lord. Help us to embrace them with faith and hope and strength that only the Spirit can give. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.